Why do we go to meetings to learn stuff? But the other is to connect with other people, mm -hmm. to make connections, professional connections, whatever they are, find clients to sell things to, and so on. Traditional meetings, when someone is lecturing, there's no connection going on around the content. You're just sitting and listening. But if you're in a session and you're breaking into small groups with different people, you meet some other people. And maybe you meet with someone who's like, oh, I want to talk to them afterwards. And so, oh, they're interested in this too, and yeah. so on. So you're building connections in the sessions. You're learning better and so on. And then the third piece is, you know, traditional meetings. And another reason why this is so important is traditional meetings, the role of the lecture, as we've seen with the pandemic, you know, uh, in-person lectures are, are not necessary anymore. You can get the best expert in the world, make a video and put it online and uh, allow people to see it anytime they want, right when they want to learn that thing. And so much better than being at an event and listening to someone talk. Welcome to Events Demystified Podcast, where we explore and demystify the world of in-person, virtual, hybrid event AV production and technology by sharing insightful tips, tricks, and tactics to make your events a success. This podcast is brought to you by TreeFan Events, a woman-owned boutique event production agency. And your host is Anka Trafan, a technical event planner and producer with almost two decades of hands-on technical experience in event production. Welcome to another episode of Events Demystified Podcast, your one-stop shop for tangible technical and planning advice for anyone in the event industry. Today's episode is sponsored by Trifan Events, a woman-owned boutique event production agency that provides the strategy, technology, and gear to host successful virtual and hybrid events. And I am your host, Amka Trifan. On the show with me today, I have Adrian Segar. He is the founder of Conferences That Work. He has convened, designed, and facilitated hundreds of meetings over the last 40 years, specializing in participant-driven and participation-rich events that become what attendee is actually looking for and wanting. He's the author of three books on meeting design, Declare Must Reads for Event Professionals by Meetings Net, Conferences That Work, Creating Events That People Love, The Power of Participation, Creating Conferences That Deliver Learning, Connection, Engagement, and Action, Event Crowdsourcing, Creating Meetings people actually want and need. And he runs conferencesthatwork.com, the world's most popular website on meeting design and facilitation. Adrian has been named three years in a row as one of the most, a hundred most influential people in the event industry. And this has been polled by over 20,000 event professionals. He's an acclaimed presenter at just about every major meeting industry conference where he leads workshops on creating truly effective meetings that people love to attend. Learn more about Adrian by following the links in the episode notes. And in the meantime, let's bring him in. Welcome to the show, Adrian. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It reminds me of actually Puerto Rico, where we got to meet in person back in May, I believe. I'm so excited to honestly have you on the air, to have actually run into you. I think it was on a bus. It was so yes. random. <laughs> <laughs> That's how these things work. And it's one of the things I love about this industry is that, you know, we meet people. And, and you know, I, I, as you may know, I think uh, I've done a lot of 
been in a lot of different uh, careers in my life. And when I kind of stumbled or found my way into the meeting industry, you know, about 50, 60 years after it, uh, I, I started, you know, I realized that I just like a lot of the people. I and mean, one of the things I love about it most is, is meeting people. And I think most of the people who are who love being in our industry are like that. And so, you know, meeting you is just one of the kinds of things, the sort of pluses that we get as we do our work. Especially on a bus as we're moving towards the conference. <laughs> In a random place that right. otherwise you'd be like, how in the world? Don't even ask. You know, I'm just curious though, what have you been up since then? Like, did you write another book? What's been happening since May? Well, you know, the as we all know, and probably all the listeners know, since COVID came along, I mean, my work pre-COVID was, was very much in-person events. And when the pandemic started, I spent a good year figuring out how the things that I had figured out how to do in person could be done effectively uh, online. And, but there's been a lot less work since then. I'm a consultant, people, you know, money is tight. People, uh, the meeting industry tends to do, you know, when things are difficult, you stay doing the things that you know how to do. So I'm, I'm still doing a fairly significant amount of uh, online work. Frankly, I'm very cautious about doing in-person uh, work these days. Uh, when we met in Puerto Rico, that was the first time I'd been out of the continental United States, you know, since the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And I actually have written a lot about, I am concerned about our industry and duty of care in the middle of what is still a pandemic and have right. written quite a lot about that recently. So I'm being cautious, uh, working from home in my home office in Vermont and um, but still, you know, working whenever I can. But no new books. I'm not expect three is. I, I I keep saying after each book, I don't think there's going to be another one, <laughs> and that might be true uh, this time. So we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'm going to jump right into our topic of conversation discussion today because you're quite an industry veteran. As you mentioned, you are invited to speak at so many different functions and events, every other event industry major conference. And first off, I'm just curious now, I know a lot of those speaking engagements probably now they're more virtual than they are in person, mm -hmm. but I'm just curious, like, how do you manage it all? I mean, all those speaking engagements, even before the pandemic, all the travel, the participation, the dedication to the meeting industry? And secondly, what is the passion that drives what you do? Sure. Well, in, in terms of the, the sort of mechanics of it, um, you know, I like probably most people in the meeting industry kind of like travel. I mean, you know, it's, it's infuriating. It's particularly unreliable these days and so on, but it is exciting going places. I like doing that. And, and again, as, as I was saying, uh, meeting you know, interesting people on the way when I, when I go. The passion is something that I think took me about 50 years. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is my fifth career. I've done a lot of different things. And it took me about 50 years to realize that I just, what I love to do is facilitating connection between people. I really feel good about, about doing that, about things that matter to them. Not This is not just kind of doing it for the sake of doing it, but getting a group of people together who have something in common, you know, a profession, uh, an interest, you know, a, something that they do that they that they want to get together and talk about and learn about and connect about and find other people who who do what they do who share that same passion and, and I realized that I love to make that possible and create meetings that become what the people who come to them actually want and need and um, I got into this really by accident I mean I've been in my professional careers I was a particle physicist and then I had a solar manufacturing company 
And then I did a lot of uh, IT consulting and I worked in uh, on administrative computer systems in schools. And what anyway, whatever I was doing, I always organized conferences ar- mm. around that topic, whatever I was involved in professionally, you know, for many years. So I've been doing that for well over 40 years. And to start off, I just did conferences like everything else, like all the yeah. other conferences I'd been to. And then what happened one day, it was in, actually it was in 1992, I decided, this is a, a long time ago, the, the personal computer was just coming out. Uh, in small schools. I was teaching at a small college at the time and doing IT work there. And I said, let's have a, let's have a conference about how to use these newfangled personal computers in schools. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, we'll have a conference. And up to then I just invited all the experts, you know, to come and speak like every conference you go to. And it was like, but there, there are no experts. The people who are putting this conference together, we collectively are the experts. And we've wow. never even met each other before. There were people all over the country, you know, who are suddenly being asked to do this, how to use these computers to automate educational systems in schools. So we got together and I had to design some kind of kind of new event. And I thought, well, we have to figure out who's here because we don't know any, anybody. We have to figure out what people want to talk about because mm. I, I, I know what I want to talk about, but I don't know if anyone else does. And then we need to do that. And then we need to, you know, kind of reflect and see back what, well, was this great? How could we change it and make it better and so on? And that was the start in 1992. That first conference that I I ran, a three-day conference, was the first uh, what I call peer conference. Some people call unconference, though I don't like that word very much. And that association that I started in 1992 is now still is still running, you know, 30 wow. years later. You know, for a long time now, it's basically been you know, the best, the go-to conference. If you're if you're interested in that uh, particular professional sphere, that's where you go every year. So I created this way of doing conferences kind of out of need, you know, because I didn't know what else to do. And then people heard about it and started asking me to um, do these things in topics that I didn't know anything about. I did a lot of work with associations and I discovered, you know, and when I started, I thought, well, maybe this will just work, only works for sort of techie nerds, you know, like yeah. you. And I found out that it worked for everybody, anybody, any group of people with a common interest. Mm. And so after about 10 years of doing that and doing, you know, and still doing doing that on the side kind of and doing my IT consulting in the meantime and teaching, one day I thought, you know, I looked at all these paper evaluations, which we used to have back then. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, people love this, you know, that you look, I'm looking at these evaluations and the, a really common one is like, this was just great. I don't want to go to another kind of conference anymore. So I thought I would write a book about it because it seemed to be valuable what I had kind of invented. And that book came out in 2009 as Conferences That Work. And suddenly I was in the meeting industry. So I've been in the formal meeting industry only since 2009. I've been doing it as an amateur and, you know, and, and sort of someone driven to do it for many, many years. But, um, uh, you know, it's been a relatively short time being in the meeting industry. Well, I love the story, the mm-hmm. behind the scenes story on how you, you know, like you said, by accident developed this participant driven and participation reach approach to meeting design. And that was quite an important development, I would think, you know, f- different from all the other conferences, like you said, that were happening at the time and even now. So piggybacking on, on this question, I guess, um, now that we know the story, let's define in your own words, then what is a participant driven? and participation reach meeting design? Mm-hmm. Well, essentially, it has a number of components. And the components are, uh, one of the key ones is, is that you need a process at the start of such meetings to allow people to discover who else is in the room. You know, we all know that 
these days you go to a conference and you know there's a hundred people there let's say that the all the expertise isn't the two or three people who are up on stage and speak you know if it's a conventional mm-hmm. event the the folks in the room have a tremendous body of expertise and experience and usually that doesn't get tapped at all I mean you know the sessions are all about the few people in the front of the room so the kinds of meetings that I do the core pieces are an opening piece where and I have a whole set of very simple processes to mm-hmm. make this happen where people find out about each other they find out who else is there uh, crucially they learn uh who what are, what other people want uh, to talk about or need to talk about questions they have issues they want to discuss people they're looking for to collaborate with whatever it is they have an option to share that with the larger group and then also they hear about people's individuals expertise and experience so at the end of that beginning piece everyone there has a huge amount of information about who's there what the kind of general interest is in the room and that can include things that someone might say well i just spent the last year doing such and such and they don't think it's any big deal and there are 30 people present who say oh my goodness we're just about to f- to start doing that mm-hmm. you know we want to do that uh, tell us what it was like and suddenly that person finds that they're leading a session on that topic and no one you know from the none of the conference organizers none of the people in the room and maybe even the person themselves realized that they had some experience or expertise that was really valuable to other people mm-hmm. so this uncovering piece is an essential part and then you've also got all this information about what people want to actually talk about and you also know about people who might be able to address those needs and so then there are as a process which um I've kind of highlighted in my third book, which is called uh, about crowdsourcing meetings, Mm -hmm. which is creating programs and also session designs that actually meet the needs, the wants and needs uh, that have people have have been uncovered for the people at the event. So you build, and and this sounds really scary to a lot of people who have never seen it happen before, you build a program on the fly at the meeting. So in the this is the purest form, by the way. I, I should explain that, you, of course, you can obviously have keynote speakers. Right. Normal event planners have a little bit of a control issues, right? That yeah. sounds very, very scary. <laughs> it does. And, and this is one of the most common things. People contact me all the time uh, for all kinds of reasons. People have existing conferences and, peop- and they're getting feedback that people are unhappy with mm-hmm. them. You know, the speakers aren't right. The topics aren't right. You know, all kinds of things like that. And then there are people who get, these are my favorite ones, the people who are wanting to do a new event, something that's never been done before. And it's great to work with designing a meeting like that because you can create something that is really great right from the start Mm -hmm. rather than trying to change from something that attendees in the past have have been used to, which tends to be, you know, something more traditional. So doing this work is, you know, is very rewarding. With this in mind, you know, what is the actual definition of what participant-driven and participation-rich meeting design really is for anyone? This is the first time that they've Mm -hmm. heard of the concept itself. Well, the first thing you have to understand is why it's important. You know, we all all know what traditional conferences are like. They've had them, we've had them for hundreds of years. Why change anything? So there are multiple reasons why we basically need to change our meetings. The first thing is that if you want to learn anything, it turns out, and we've known this for a hundred years. I mean, a lot of this is, you know, research-based. The lectures are a terrible way to learn anything. And we're all used to getting them. An expert stands and talks for 50 minutes and there's 10 minutes of questions and then we go into the next session. But they are terrible ways of learning things. We learn much much better, people learn much better when they are actively involved in their learning. So, I mean, you call me a presenter, for example, I rarely present. I actually, I don't know the last time I've spoken for last, uninterruptedly for more than five or 10 minutes at the Mm -hmm. most. I always have people do stuff 
And the best way to learn, and this is starting to happen in college courses too, you know, good teachers will provide a short chunk of information, maybe with a story involved, and then ask the students or the people in the room, in this case, the attendees or the participants, to actually work with that information. Maybe they'll pose a question and you might split into pairs or trios and say uh, and, and talk among, in those small groups about, well, what do you think about this? What would you do? Etc. and so on. The moment someone is actually speaking, actively part of the session, they will learn much better. They will remember much more of what happened. They will remember it more accurately. They will remember it for longer. So there's all kinds of evidence a research evidence we've known for a long time that if you want people to learn things well, you need to have them actively involved rather than just sitting back and you know listening to someone and falling asleep. Do you the feel other- this style mm-hmm. also is so much more important, especially when delivering virtually, when people have such a short oh. attention span and also you right. get distracted by a million other things if you're yes. not involved in the conversation? Right, right. exactly. Yes. Uh, again, short chunks of content. Uh, having people in on, online, you have people go into into you know breakout rooms and Zoom into small group work and so on, and you do that frequently so people stay engaged. And here's the brilliant thing about it: when you do that, why do we go to meetings? There are two reasons: to learn stuff, but the other is to connect with other people, mm-hmm. to make connections, professional connections, whatever they are, or find clients to sell things to, and so on. The sessions at traditional meetings, when someone is lecturing, there are no connections. There's no connection going on around the content. You're just sitting and listening. But if you're in a session and you're breaking into small groups with different people, you meet some other people. And maybe you meet with someone who's like, oh, I want to talk to them afterwards. And so, oh, they're interested in this too. And so on. So you're building connections in the sessions. You're learning better and so on. And then the third piece is, you know, traditional meetings. And another reason why this is so important is traditional meetings, the role of the lecture, as we've seen with the pandemic, you know, uh, in-person lectures are, are not necessary anymore. You can get the you know the the best expert in the world make a video and and put it on on online and uh, allow people to see it anytime they want right when they want to learn that thing and so on much better than being at an event and listening to someone talk. So the rise of online means that you know traditional meetings are even more sort of uh, uh, I wouldn't say relevant, but they're the mode that format of instruction has become less and less necessary. So those are some of the motivations, the motivation for learning and connection. When you do, when you create the kinds of meetings that I'm talking about, people learn better because they're actively involved in their learning and they connect with other people while they're learning. I mean, you know, it's it's win-win, but you get both those things happening. You could argue that, you know, the difference, traditional meeting, the connection is supposed to happen outside the sessions in mm-hmm. the breaks. You know, and that's why sometimes, you know, people say, well, you know, uh, the best thing about this conference was the conversations in the halls. What I do and what these designs, participant driven and participation rich designs do is bring connection into the sessions around meaningful, useful content. And that also, that's the other benefit is, is that the participants can then shape what happens in the sessions. I'll run us, I might run a session on something that I know about for conferees and I will not, you know, give a predetermined talk about that topic, I will do, you know, sort of AMA, ask AAA, ask Adrian anything kinds of sessions. It's like, what do you want to talk about? Write it on a post-it note. All of you, I'll give you all a post-it note. Write one thing you really want to learn about in this session, which is about this topic. Write it down, hand it in, put them on the board. Oh, about a third of you would really like to talk about this. Two or three people want to talk about this. Then I've got four separate questions here. And then you design a session that meets those needs on the fly. 
that's what, you know, it, it's not very hard to do that. And, and good presenters will do that kind of stuff these days. But it's still, you know, unfortunately pretty rare. I was going to ask, like, does it take specific skills for a presenter to embrace this type of presentation or delivery of content in a way versus what's been done before where you just speak to a group of people and then you just hope that somebody retains or somebody actually pays attention? That's a good question. I mean, I find it fairly easy to do. I have found that, and, you know, I've worked with hundreds of organizations and um, I found that there are, I mean, there are some people who are uncomfortable with it, mm-hmm. and then, but there are a lot of people who discover when they try it that it's actually rather invigorating and they get great feedback. It's like, oh, your session was really good because you were responsive to the needs of the people in the room. You mm-hmm. didn't spend half your time talking about something that only three people were interested in. So the session is going to be better when you're responsive that way. And it's not hard to do. You know, my second book is full of very simple techniques that people can use to to do this kind of work and create better sessions and also better events. Well, I love that you kind of turn, you know, your physics background into a brand new life's mission in a way to improve meetings, Mm -hmm. basically at their very core level. And Mm -hmm. what happens at the event by designing and facilitating the process that creates connection around, as you said, appropriate and needed content in the sessions and Mm -hmm. not just in the hallways. Why do you consider this to be, you know, in so many ways, your life mission? And do you feel like it will evolve in something else now that we're kind of sort of in an endemic space it's a gray area mm-hmm. we're still in the pandemic but it feels like it's the endemic it's like nobody knows <laughs> well there's several answers to that first of all uh, I learn new things all the time I'm mm-hmm. always trying new things I mean I will try new things in every every meeting I've ever designed I include you know new elements in I every meeting is unique and every meeting I do uh, there are some unique circumstances and I get ideas and I try them and sometimes those ideas don't work so well or sometimes they work really well or sometimes someone suggests something during the meeting that makes that idea better so I'm always learning on the other hand I do spend a lot of my time you know writing pieces I my website conferences that work.com as has become incredibly popular because I've been writing a blog post on it every week for the last 12 years. There's over 600 wow. blog posts. They're, they're pretty much all ever, they're just as relevant today as they were, you know, when I started writing them. And there's still a lot of work to be done. I mean, you and I know how many traditional meetings there are and how many people there are who are still the only way, you know, a, a meeting, a conference has to be this way. And, and and you also asked about my motivation. And, you know, the other story that I, or another story that I have about that is I was, when I was a, a in my first career, I was a, a researcher in uh, high-energy particle physics. Mm-hmm. And, um, have a PhD in particle physics. And I was so I was a grad student for a while. And I would go to these academic conferences. And there'd be, you know, 100, 200 physicists in the room. And they were, you know, the traditional events. And there were some brilliant physicists would stand on stage and talk 50 minutes. And then a few people would ask questions. And often the questions were like, a, more or less to show how brilliant the people asking the questions were <laughs> rather than anything. It was all kind of status and dominance kinds of stuff. I'm a big fan, by the way, of flattening meanings. Because mm-hmm. I do believe that pretty much everyone who goes to a meeting has stuff to contribute. And I, you know, as this lowly grad student, I'd be there sitting there with all these other physicists. And I'm thinking, you know, there's probably five people in this room who I would love to meet in some way. And, you know, who I could work with on my mm-hmm. you know, stuff I'm doing on my PhD thesis and stuff like that. 
or we could collaborate together or and so on and i there's no mechanism here i i i you know my only chance of meeting people is i sit next to someone at lunch and talk to them and maybe you know the person who could change my life you know in in the physics world which i was in at the time is sitting you know three chairs away and talking to someone else and i'll never meet them because i never had an opportunity but you know if i had met them it would have been amazing. So I, you know, I've had that experience. I mean, that was something that really motivated me when mm -hmm. I started running my meetings myself. It's like, how can I make meetings better for everyone who comes? And again, reduce this kind of a hierarchy where the only people who are the most important people are in front of the and the ones in front of the room speaking and everyone else is like second class status which is, you know, simply not a useful situation to, to be in these days. Absolutely. Well, Adrian, hold that thought as we take a brief moment to acknowledge our podcast sponsor and supporter. We'll be right back to continue this fascinating conversation. Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifan Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual, and hybrid events. The team at Trifan Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement, and co-creation while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. To find out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable, go to trifunevents.com. We're back with Adrian, and I'm super excited to continue this conversation about meeting design. So Adrian, I don't know if you heard of Tahir Dean. She wrote Intentional Thanks. Event Design. And this was the first book that actually I read on event design. And I'm just curious if you've read it. For anyone that is looking for a quick comparison on the top two meeting design books available to date, how is your approach to event design different than Tahira's? Well, to hear is, and she's a friend, and there's actually quite a lot of, uh, she quotes me quite a lot in one of the chapters on what I would call event process design, you know, how mm -hmm. do you, uh, which is really what I specialize in. I mean, to hear book is excellent because it's a broader look at meetings. The title, you know, explains it very well, intentional in, uh, event design. So it's being conscious Mm -hmm. of what you're trying, you know, objectives, um, and then turning those in, and she explains how to do that in many different areas into, you know, a really great functional um, event that actually meets those objectives. And her book is a kind of bigger picture uh, view of what she calls, and what I agree with is, is called intentional event design. So she is stressing the motivation. So, uh, mm -hmm. which is very, very important. Don't just do consider the um, base your events on what you've seen to date. You need to try to approach every event uh, in a fresh way. And, and obviously, you know, we, we have tools and, and, and things that we've done before that we say, think, oh, that's going to be relevant for this particular event, but always staying open and coming up with new things. I mean, every, as I said, every meeting I do, I try something, I come up with something new because it needs something new. It mm -hmm. needs something different because I'm trying to meet a, a, an objective that's a little different from 
you know, the last few hundred that I've done. So that's very important. So I like a book a lot. And my book is much more about what I, as I say, on process design, it kind of really mm-hmm. focuses on what I see as the essence of the events of why, why do we go to meetings uh, for, for learning and connection, those two things, and really focuses on the, particularly on the connection piece, which, as I explained earlier, also impacts greatly mm-hmm. the effectiveness of the learning and also the appropriateness of what people are actually learning about because they get to choose what it is. So to hear, you know, I just saw her, I haven't seen her for a while since uh, COVID came, and uh, I just saw her on an online event the other day. It was really nice to kind of catch up with her. But uh, I I really recommend her book, and uh, I think she likes mine too. (laughs) Um, I I believe so too. Now, on the same topic of meeting design, intentional meeting design, what type of changes have you seen happening over the years, and what kind of changes still need to happen for the best? One of the things I'm kind of, I don't take responsibility for it, but I I definitely have seen uh, since I've entered the sort of formal meeting industry in the last, you know, dozen years or so, I've seen people become much more aware of the importance of incorporating participation and engagement, a meaningful engagement into their meetings. So I think that's very encouraging. I mean, you open meeting magazines these days and you look about Mm -hmm. articles on the web and there's much more about that in the past. And, and, Obviously, all the logistical stuff and the production is very, very important, mm-hmm. uh, and that's always going to be important. But certainly people are thinking more in the meeting industry more about the formats and the ways you actually deliver the core of what the meeting is about. So I think that's really great. But the, the flip side of that is there's still a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Because, and what happens is, is that people... This, is, this stuff is tough. As you said earlier, it is often scary. You know, my clients are often uh, scared to try new things. That's a, a lot of my work is uh, when working with a client is to persuade them that this isn't as risky as they think, uh, you know, and to, and, you know, and, and not even persuade them, but you know, show them. Uh, and give to, them the map in a way, you know, to figure out here's the right. stuff that, you know, you could follow to get to the end goal. It's not a thinking thing in the end. In the end, I mean, I've, I've said, I've said this uh, for, mm-hmm. forever. The way that you convince people that what I, the kinds of things that I do work is, to attend one you know if i the best the clients i've had who are just a dream to work with are folks who have been to uh maybe they've been to one of my meetings Mm -hmm. and they get it they've experienced it it's like oh this is great i should be doing this for my organization or my professional whatever Mm -hmm. and so on and they come to you and then it's very easy to work with them I mean, there are a few people who read the book. I mean, I'd say maybe, you know, five or 10 people, percent of the people who read the book or my blog post, like, oh, I, I see why this would work. Yeah, I'm, I'm a believer. Most people in my experience do need to experience it because it, it's very, very scary, as you said, particularly for event professionals to give up control. You know, they see it as giving up control. And the, the interesting thing is that you're actually, well, first of all, I would argue that you never, you, you never really had control anywhere. Uh, anyway, uh, that that was something of a myth. You might have controlled the program completely, but that doesn't mean that you controlled the experience very well because a lot of pre-programmed programs are basically not relevant to what attendees want. And, you know, I know that for a fact because I've been able to compare what people thought meeting attendees wanted with what they actually wanted when they were given the choice. And the two don't match very well. 
So do you feel like we're moving now as, you know, the world at large is figuring out what life after a global pandemic looks like? The mm -hmm. event world is also trying to do, you know, the same thing in so many ways. Do you feel like we're moving uh, from content first to connection first events? I think we're definitely moving. There's def we're definitely moving that way, but I think we have a long way to go. I think we do. I have clients who are running meetings. Uh, they would run, say, two uh, very large meetings, say, for all of Europe. Everyone would come to one place in Europe, you know, twice a year. And they have switched to online meetings of much smaller targeted groups on a monthly basis uh, using the, the kinds of approaches that, that I've been uh, talking about and, and that I use. And they're not going back. They're not going back to, they might run, start running some in-person meetings again, but these new small, intimate, participant-driven meetings with high-end folks who don't have to travel anymore, they can get together three hours every month, uh, wherever they are in Europe uh, or on, in the world, have this meeting, meet with their peers, learn useful things, know what's going on, and so on. These are things that, uh, those kinds of meetings are not going to go away. Uh, and they are replacing, you know, the, some of the traditional ones that we have. Uh, so, I, yeah. So anyway, the answer to your question is, I think uh, people are realizing the value. Uh, and that's been somewhat uh, accelerated by the fact of, of people figuring out uh, that there are better ways to do online meetings than webinars, you know, mm -hmm. which are done poorly are, you know, even worse than in-person <laughs> meetings or in-person lectures. So, so I think people are experiencing that. But again, we, we have a ways to go. And I see a lot of my work in, in continuing to champion the things that I believe uh, and, and I've learned from my experience will make meetings better for the attendees and the stakeholders too. If the attendees are happier, nearly always the stakeholders are happier too. Well, I even see like a conference potentially for the next generation of presenters and keynote speakers to be taught on this new method of how to deliver, you know, participation-driven content in a way that enriches the meeting. Because again, like you said, there is a set of probably guidelines and ways of doing it, but it also means practicing getting out of your comfort zone if it's not something that you have mm -hmm. done before. So keep me in the loop if you do that, Max. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I was just thinking about I was just thinking about you know stand up comedians and so on. When you when you said that, I'm thinking you know and and the traditional stand up comedian, you know, then I'm thinking of one of my favorite uh, stand up comedians, which who is a uh, uh, Paula Poundstone. She's not unique in this, but mm -hmm. other stand up comedians do amazing audience interaction stuff, and they're really good at it, and people love it. And frankly, yeah. if I had to choose someone be between seeing someone who did that and someone who just told jokes on the stage, you know. Uh, I, I choose the former. And the same way, there are keynote speakers and presenters who do this too. They go into the audience and say, well, what do you think? And so, and they do polls and they do, mm -hmm. and they bring up people on stage or groups of people and have them do things and so on. But again, it's the minority. A lot of, you know, keynote speakers, and I have some critiques of, you know, obviously I have some critiques of, of keynote speaking myself. I'm not a, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be a keynote speaker. Uh, I'm not a speaker. I'm a, a much more of a facilitator and, and teacher, I think. But a lot of keynote speakers are, again, kind of, I feel sort of trapped in the, I am a really important person and you have mm. to listen to what I have to say. And here are the words, you know, of the expert, listen to me. And again, the research shows, I mean, I, I and I know this from my experience, I've heard so many keynote speakers in my life. And I think about how many of them I can remember what they said 
six months later, they have a, they're great at the time. Good ones are yeah. really great at creating an emotional experience. And you think, oh, wow, that's great. And then a couple of months later, you can't even remember what they said and they didn't change your life. And I'm interested in creating meetings that change people's lives. You know, yeah. what, in any, whatever way that works for the, those people, giving them that possibility. Because if, if you went to a meeting and your life didn't change, what was really the point of going? Oh, you can't even remember like the week after, let alone a month later, right. Right. <laughs> what exactly right. what the topic was but about. If, but if you do a meeting like mine and you meet three people who are like, you know, this is this is my tribe. You know, these people are my mm-hmm. tribe. My God, I'm going to work with them. You can meet one person in a meeting that changes your professional life. And uh, I try to create meetings where that's much easier, much more likely to happen, uh, and so on, in ways that I'll never know. I just provide the format and the structure and the support and the facilitation to make that happen. I don't know 99.9% of, of how that happens, but I hear enough feedback, you know, every once in a while from attendees that said, you know, that was to come up and say, that was just really great. I met this person, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, my, you know, I seem to be doing okay. That's awesome. Well, this is a fantastic conversation, Adrian. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your experience and learn wisdom in regards to meeting design. In closing, what is one piece of advice that you have for event professionals out there that would be helpful for them as they plan their very next meeting or conference with design in mind? Well, obviously, I'm going to uh, champion what I've been talking with you about, which is, and again, going back to suggesting that they experience the kind of meeting that I've just described. How can they do that practically? Is there anything lined up that you're working on? I run, yes, I run, well, I run um, participation labs, I call them every once in a while. And I've been doing them during the pandemic, I've been doing them online. I tend to, sometimes associations ask me to to run them for their members. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, so sometimes there are private workshops. But I have, I haven't, I don't have any schedule at the moment. But basically, what I've, I've, I've always put out to the community is um, if there are enough people, if you are, if you want, want want to have one happen, and I have on my website, I have a place where you can say, yeah, I want to go to one of these things, uh, and so on, and this is the region I'm in, and so on, or online, or whatever it is, and they can, and people can register for those things, and uh, every now and again, if I get enough of those, I'll run one. But I run them, uh, I run them, I run small versions um, pretty regularly, you know, uh, two or three hours, but to do this kind of stuff properly, you know, it takes a day or so, at least yeah. a day. And online, that would be, you know, spread over maybe three, you know, half days or something like that. So it, it's harder to do online. And I, again, I'm not super excited about doing in-person meetings right now. Um, uh, I'm just concerned about COVID. So what is one piece of advice that, um, as we were mentioning, event professionals can take home is attend one of those show and tell so you can mm-hmm. experience for yourself. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, advice that you'd like to leave our audience with? I think uh, the one piece of advice I'd say is for uh, a lot of event professionals, and speaking now probably more in the association space, I do a lot of work mm-hmm. with associations, uh, which are communities of practice around, you know, a professional, whatever it is, and so on. Listen carefully to what your attendees are saying. Look at the feedback from the conferences and the meetings that you've had, and you'll often find, uh, and, and many event professionals are saying, well, you know, there was people who are unhappy and and so on. And, you you know, we're doing the best that we can. And I think looking at that honestly, and it's a hard thing to do, and saying maybe there are things that we can do to make our meetings better. And then looking into the kinds of things that I've been talking about here, 
is a way that that uh, certainly associations, a lot of associations can really make a difference uh, and improve the experience and value of experience of their members and the value of membership for their members. So that's what I w- would suggest. Event professionals themselves, you know, we're, we listen to our clients. If our clients come to us and say, I want a conventional meeting, you know, you'll, you'll say to them, okay, I can do that. And you might say to them, hey, did you ever think about this? And if the client says, no, I'm not interested in that, then there's not very much you can do about it. That's one of the things I like is that people tend to come to me when they realize that, you know, they're they're ready to make a change like that. But certainly association members, a lot of traditional association conferences are really not very good. And there are many things you can do, simple things you can do, inexpensive things you can do to improve them. That's fabulous. Well, thank you so much for insightful tips and tricks shared with us today. Where can our audience connect with you aside from conferences that work.com that we mentioned several times? Uh Sure. Well, uh, I, I'm a prolific tweeter, uh, probably the best place. My Twitter handle is A for Adrian. And so A Seeger, S-E-G-A-R, A Seeger. And I tweet about uh, meetings, meeting design, and anything else that comes to mind. And uh, if you look at that, my tweet stream these days, you'll get a, a fairly close idea of what I am. But it's a very good introduction to what I what I think about, what I write about, what I talk about. And there are links, you know, basically every post has a link to something that I think is valuable. So uh, I'm a good person to follow on Twitter in the meeting industry and about 8,000 people seem to agree. So that's, that's good. That's awesome. I will definitely uh, not a bunch of a Twitter person, but I'm going to have to go there and uh, make sure I follow you. Mm -hmm. And aren't you happy that I completely like (laughs) mispronounced your last name from now on, you are Adrian Cigar. (laughs) Well, see if you're, it's Seeger. I know it's Seeger, but I was like, I'm, This is the European player. That's how you sound like. I don't even, I don't even, I don't, I I mean, you know, think Pete Seeger, you know, Bob Seeger and so on. They're spelled differently, but they all, we're all pronounced the same, but it's just an accident. I'm sure there, there are, there are folks with my name spelled that uh, pronounce it differently, but Adrian Seeger, uh, if, if you can get it right. And if you can't, I'll still, I'll still love you anyway. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, friends, this is it for today's episode. We had the honor of having Adrian Seeger with us today. Make sure that you check out his website. There's going to be a link in the episode notes with some free downloads of numerous useful peer conference resource materials, including some of the handouts. I've seen that you have them there, the forms, model session narratives, and timing, soundtracks, and scripts that uh, come with the conferences that work and the power of participation, a book that you wrote. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and learned a thing or two about Adrian and what he's passionate about. Thank you so much for staying tuned all the way till the end. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and don't miss our next episode airing out on Friday. Thank you, Adrian. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Anka. Thanks for inviting me. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Events Demystified podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to review it, rate it, and share it with other event professionals that could benefit from it. Connect with us on social at Events Demystified Podcast. We would love to hear from you and what you're up to. If you'd like to learn more about Tree Fan Event Services and find out if we're a good fit in supporting your event, can we help your event be successful with a 20-minute free consultation? Link in the episode's notes. Thanks for tuning in.